In today's message, we learn a third strategy on how to share Christ with others by looking at how Paul the Apostle engaged with people at Athens, the then intellectual capital of the world. All right, let's get ready to make our declaration this morning and then we will get into God's Word. So if you have your Bible, please uh, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 18, verses 20 and 21. Very familiar verses, we're going to look at that. Proverbs chapter 18 Verses 20 and 21. Here's what the book of Proverbs says. Proverbs 18, 20 and 21. A man's stomach shall be satisfied with food from his wife's kitchen. No, no, sorry. (laughs) That's something else, all right? A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips, he will be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. So the Bible here is teaching us that our lives are satisfied, is affected by the words of our mouth, the words we speak. So the words we speak are not, you know, just casual remarks and things that just don't uh, matter. But the words, the fruit of our mouth, the words that come out of our mouth, the produce of our lips, is what is going to fill our lives. So in in a sense, we could say this, we are today the sum total, in a big way, the sum total of what we have been speaking consistently. What we have been saying about ourselves, about our circumstances, about our situations. And our words are so powerful, the Bible says, death and life are in the power of our words, our tongue, death and life, such important uh, matters of life, death and life are in the power of our tongue. Now, God, who designed everything, decided to put it this way. In fact, James says, you know, the tongue is such a small member, yet it has such a big impact on our lives. And he compares it to the bit in the horse's mouth. So you've got a powerful animal, but that whole big animal is Controlled by the little bits that's in its mouth, and the you know the rider just pulls it on the left or the right to move the big uh, the strong horse, or the rudder on a ship. So here's a big ship, and just the steering of the rudder can determine where that ship goes. And uh, the writer of James, James says, in James three, that's how powerful our tongue is, and he compares it to a little fire. A little fire it brings down a big huge forest. It can just wipe it out. So we must understand the importance of the words we speak and the effect they have on our lives. So what we challenge ourselves to do is speak consistently in line with the word of God. Say what God has said about you. Say what God says about your circumstances, about your situations, so that everything in our world can align itself to what God has declared for our lives. Amen? So that's why we train ourselves Sunday after Sunday to stand up and make our declarations. So if you don't mind, let's stand to our feet, please, and We'll hold our Bibles high up in the air and uh, say this out loud, bold and strong together. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ. 
and a channel of his blessing to many people. I receive his word. I believe his word. And I live by his word. Christ is my master. And to him, I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. Say hi to the person next to you. Tell them nice to see you this morning. All right. Let's get into God's word this morning. Over the last several Sundays, uh, we've been talking about how to win souls uh, and make disciples. Uh, I realize this is Passion Week and most people will be you know, looking forward for a message that's kind of related. We'll get to it on Friday, don't worry. Uh, but we just uh, go forward with uh, talking about uh, winning souls and making disciples. All of us have been called to win souls and make disciples. All of us. God wants all of us to be involved in this. To win people for Jesus. And to disciple them uh, so that they can f- become followers and, and, and know how to live life as followers of Jesus. And uh, what we're doing in this four-part series is simply talking about or sharing some simple strategies how all of us can be involved in winning souls and making disciples. So let's review. What was the first strategy? Invite and pray. Very simple. Just invite people, pray for them. What was the second strategy? Connect and impact. So connect with them, talk to them about something that interests them, and then impact them with the power of God. Pray for them. And how, whichever way God wants you to deliver the power, it's okay. Just pray. Let you know, God's power impact their lives. Uh, today we're going to look at a third strategy. But before we start off, I want to just make this comment here. That although we're going to look at these four simple strategies in as, uh, isolated or single messages on different Sundays, they're not really uh, you know, different. They, they are, they're not, we don't use them in isolation. We use them together. Right? So it's not like, okay, now I'm going to connect and impact. You know, how do I connect? Oh, now I'm going to invite and pray. It's not like that. It's just that, you know, we just flow in this, right? So there may be, as you're engaging with the person, there may be times when, you know, maybe when you begin, you may actually begin by understanding and reasoning with that person, which we're going to talk about this morning. And then later on, you know, you might just do the impact part. You pray for some need in their life and God impacts them. And then sometime later, you might just invite them to church or to a meeting at home or something like that. So uh, just keep in mind that though we are talking about these strategies in isolation on different Sundays, they're really in, in, in practical life, we just flow in all of these together. Is that okay? Right? So this morning, we're going to talk about a third strategy, which simply, which is understand and reason. And uh, for our text, we're going to go to Acts, the 17th chapter. We're going to read the passage there in Acts 17, verses 16 to 34. Acts chapter 17, verses 16 to 34. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please follow along with me and I'll try to do this as quickly as possible. I know it's getting hot. And uh, uh, so let's do this. Acts, the 17th chapter. Going to start reading from verse 16. And while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshippers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. 
when certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. Then Paul stood in the midst of of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord, in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. By the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. While others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them... Dionysius the Areopagite, a woman, a woman named Damaris, and others with him. And I'll just read verse 1 of chapter 18. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. So what we have picked up here is Paul on a second missionary journey. And if you see the map on the screen, Paul in his second missionary journey, and he starts off from his home base, which is Antioch in Syria. So Syria is in the news uh, these days, Antioch was Paul's home church. Antioch uh, is, a, I think it's how it's called these days. And from Antioch, this was a second missionary journey. So he goes through the region of Galatia, uh, where you find, he goes through Tarsus, his hometown. And he goes to the region of Galatia, where you have these important cities of Derby, Lystra, Iconium. And then he goes to Pisidia, the district of Pisidia, where you have another city called Antioch. And he plants. So in all of these places, Paul has planted churches. And from Antioch and Pisidia, he goes through over, uh, he attempts to go into Asia at that time. The Holy Spirit says no. He attempts, uh, Paul, Timothy, Paul and Silas are doing this journey together. And they attempt to go over into 
Bithynia, but again the Holy Spirit says no, and so they go all the way into Troas, which is a seaport town that you can see uh, on the east side of the Aegean Sea. And in Troas, they have a vision. Paul has a vision. He sees a man from Macedonia saying, come over to us. And so they believe the Lord's called them over to Macedonia. They cross over the agency and they go into those cities of Neapolis. They come to Philippi. Uh, they go through Berea, uh, Thessalonica, Berea. And they come, then come down into Greece. And they go to the capital city of Greece, which is Athens. So here Paul on his second missionary journey is hitting all the big cities of his day. Very important to go to the cities because the cities are now the melting pot or the, the place where all pe- people from small towns and rural areas come in for, for mainly for business. So if you bring the gospel into the cities, it's going to carry over. It's going to spread into all the small towns, the village areas. Now Paul comes to Athens. And unlike some of the other cities that he's been to, Athens is very different because Athens at that time was the intellectual capital of the world. And it was a city that had been continuously inhabited for 5,000 years. People have been dwelling there. It's a major world city at that time under the Roman Empire. And uh, Athens, just to give us a little background here, uh, some of the major Greek philosophers like Socrates, Plato, uh, Aristotle, who was a student there of, of Socrates, all of them were out, came out of Athens in 300, between 300, for around 300, 400 BC. These were the Greek philosophers. And they, their thinking now is influencing the world. So that's the kind of city Paul is now coming into. Athens at that time had the world's best university. The center for science, art, philosophy was there in Athens. So Paul is not going into any small city. He's going into the world's intellectual capital. And what does he do? How does he bring the message to these people? How is he going to win these people for Jesus? How is he going to uh, influence culture? And uh, how is he going to communicate the message of Jesus Christ in such a setting? And uh, as the Bible tells us here, in, uh, and you can look it over in Acts chapter 17, uh, what does he do? When he comes in there, it says that uh, at that time, Acts 17 verse 18, there were two major philosophies dominating that culture, the people there. They were the Epicurean, this is verse 18, and the Stoic philosophers, two major philosophies at that time. The Epicureans believed that uh, 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 life really on, uh, life on earth, uh, that everything happened by chance. Death was the end of everything. And uh, gods, if there were any gods, they were so remote and distant, they were totally disconnected from what's happening in this world that they really didn't care. And the Epicureans believed that pleasure, living for pleasure was the chief end of man. Just live for it. When you die, it's all over. So that was one dominant philosophy over Athens at that time. Stoicism, the Stoics believed that everything was God. And God was in everything. He was the fiery spirit and his spark was in every person, every man. And when people died, they just returned to God. And uh, everything that happened was the will of God. So two contrasting but dominant philosophies in Athens at that time. So Paul comes in there. How does he engage these people? We see that uh, uh, also we, the other thing that some other things that we notice about Athens is that uh, this city was given over to idols. You read this in verse 16. 
that when Paul waited at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. So here was a city that was fully, uh, just idolatry was everywhere. In fact, the Romans who were at that time ruling that part of the world, they made notes saying it was easier to find a god than a man in Athens. And Athens was one big altar to gods, to the gods. Everywhere you went, there were altars. So when Paul saw this, he was just so stirred. What's happening in the city? A great city, but given to idolatry. What does Paul do? Verse 17 says, Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews, with the Gentile worshippers, and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. So what did Paul do? He, he reasoned. He engaged in dialogue. He started talking to these people. He reasoned with the people. He went to the synagogue where he would meet the Jews and the Gentile worshippers. He reasoned with them. And he went to the marketplace and he reasoned with people. That word marketplace is very interesting because it's not just, you know, as we know it, a marketplace. Well, you know, like Russell Market used to be a long time ago. Because <laughs> nowadays we have all the other fancy stores here. But, you know, or you do, you know, big basket online. So <laughs> maybe there'll be a generation I have no idea what marketplace is. <laughs> and they only know big basket, you know, <laughs> or some home delivery thing. Anyway, but in Paul's day, the marketplace was the Greek agora. That's what they call the marketplace. It was basically a place where people not only transacted, they came and sold their goods and all that, they did all that, but more importantly, it was a place where people talked about life. Where all the philosophers came, people wanted to promote new ideas and new thoughts. They would go to the marketplace and they would engage with people, they would talk about their ideas. So Socrates, you can imagine about 300 or 400 years prior to Paul, Socrates was there in Agora, talking and promoting his ideas. And Plato and Aristotle, they were people there uh, engaging uh, everyday people with their ideas in the, in the marketplace, in the Agora. And what does Paul do? He goes right there. So, a lesson for all of us. We should not be afraid to reason with people. We should not be afraid to engage in dialogue and talking to people. About the faith and things concerning the faith. So Paul went right there. He went to the Agora and he started talking to the people. But what was he talking about? He was talking about Jesus and the resurrection. Verse 18. End of verse 18. He was talking about Jesus and the resurrection. So now imagine these people. They've heard Socrates and they've heard Plato and they've heard Aristotle. And they now are under this big influence of the Epicurean philosophy and this, uh, under Stoicism. And, 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 all of, uh, and now they are hearing about Jesus and the resurrection. This, like, this is like doesn't gel with us. So they, you know, they start calling him names. Well, you're a babbler. What are you talking about? But something very interesting happens. Athens also had a place called Areopagus or Mars Hill. Now this was the place where the elite of Athens, the, the cream of the intellectuals, the city council would gather together to listen to people who had new ideas. And one of them finds Paul speaking at the Agora and he says, okay, come, I'll get you an audience at Areopagus, which is Mars Hill. So now it looks like that hill. So you can imagine Paul and about 25, 30 city council members sitting there and saying, okay, you talk to us. Tell us 
about this new thing you're speaking of. So Paul is there on Mars Hill. There are these 25 odd elites of Athens sitting there on this one of those slopes. And they're saying, we want to listen to you. Tell us. And Paul has this one opportunity to present the message of Jesus to the highest intellectuals of his day and his time. And what does he preach? How does he communicate to them? And that's, we want to draw some lessons from how Paul engages with them. So, he's there on Mars Hill. And he's got these people in front of him. How does he engage? What can we learn? Some of the things uh, we observe here is this. That first, Paul appreciates, and this is in verse 21 as he begins. He appreciates their inclination towards religious matters. In verse 22, sorry, as Paul begins. He says, Paul stood in the midst of Areopagus or Mars Hill and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. I mean, not guys, but sirs. I see that you're very religious people. So he begins by recognizing where they are in their spiritual quest. In some way, it's a little easy because they are very religious. They are inclined to religious things, the spiritual things. So he says, I see that you are very religious. And uh, every place there was these altars and, and Paul has noticed them that he's gone through the town. And the next thing he says is this. He says, verse 23, For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. So Paul was wandering around the city. He saw all these altars and then he finds one altar that says to the unknown God. It's almost like, you know, they have an altar for every Greek goddess, God and goddess they know. And just in case they missed out somebody, <laughs> let's put one up for you as well. You know, don't get angry with me. I've got one for you. <laughs> to the unknown gods. And so Paul picks that up. It tells us something that, 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 that he uses something that they relate to to, un- to under- and understand as a starting point. He recognizes where they are in their spiritual quest. That they are spiritually inclined. And he sees something in their world. And then he begins to start talking from there. You guys, you are praying to an unknown God. And I'm here to tell you who this unknown God is. I'm here to tell you who he is, what he's like, and what he's going to do for you. Or what he has done for you. It's another lesson that we can pick up. And then, very interesting, as Paul begins to talk about this unknown God, how that uh, he is not worshipped with uh, things made of men's hands. So he's trying, now his main objective is to try to convince them that God is not made of things. See, they have all these altars and all these stone structures everywhere. So his, his main thing is, now, I need to convince them that there is this God who is not a man-made structure. And in order to do that, what does he do? Very interesting. Over there in, 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 in verse 28 and 29, Paul says, You know, for in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. So he's quoting one of their own poets. And this is, he's picking up a few lines there from a Greek poet named Aratus, who was there again uh, about 240 BC. And they are all very familiar with his, uh, his poetry. And so he pulls out something from their own literature, their own poetry, and says, one of your own poets, and you believe this poet, probably they're all studying it in school. Your own poet is saying, we are the offspring of God. So if we are like God, and we are his offspring, 
then he begins to say, if we are his offspring, then don't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone. He's trying to prove, uh, and he's trying to point them to God being so much more powerful than their little objects that they've made. So it's interesting. Uh, as we engage with people, it's, it's important for us to let them know that we've made an effort to know and understand what they believe. Paul knows what these people think, what they believe. So he's made an effort to actually know what some of the poets have written and, and what they're thinking, what they're believing. He's letting them know uh, about that. And from there, he moves on to sharing the message of Jesus Christ. Of course, all of that is just to let people know that we understand, we're willing to reason, but ultimately, this is the message. It's the message of Jesus Christ that we want to share with you. Now, what was the outcome? Uh, we see the outcome. Some of them who heard about this, verse 32, some of them mocked. Some said, uh, we'll hear you later. It's a more polite way of saying, no, thank you. <laughs> I will think about it. But it says, some of them believed. There was a lady, who, uh, 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 a very important lady named Damaris, who believed. There were others who believed. But also very interesting, one of these elite people, Dinosius the Erpagite, meaning one of the people sitting in that council, that council of Erpagus, he believed. So in his little sermon, as he engaged with the people, he was able to win one person of that entire city council, of that elite group, to Jesus. And although the New Testament doesn't record it, historically, this man, Dinosius, went on to become the bishop of the church in Athens. So in this intellectual city, the world capital, Paul came, engaged with them, reasoned with them, pointed them to Jesus, started off with what they understood and what they believed, pointed them to Jesus. He actually won some people to the Lord, including this one very important man who sat in that council to evaluate what he had to say. Now, Paul moved on to Corinth and uh, in his third missionary journey, although the Bible doesn't say he came back to Athens, in his third missionary journey, he comes back into Greece and he spends three months in Greece. Uh, uh, and it is likely that he visited Athens again because he spent three months in that area. Uh, although the Bible doesn't record that and there's no record of him writing a letter to the church in Athens. But we know that he came there, he preached, people believe. A church was established in that city. So, just to uh, review some of the lessons here from Paul's engagement with the people there. Recognize where people are in their spiritual quest. Use something they relate to and understand as a starting point. Let them know that you've made an effort to know and understand what they believe. And then share the message of Jesus Christ. Some other insights uh, uh, that we can get from Paul's episode to the Corinthians and other places on how he engaged people, intellectuals, is that he preached Christ and his work on the cross. In 1 Corinthians 1, verses 20 to 24, and we're not turning there, but Paul makes this statement. He says, the Jews are looking for a sign. The Jews are looking for something supernatural. The Greeks seek after wisdom. So the Greeks are very intellectual people. They want something that will appeal to their understanding. But he says, we preach Christ crucified. We preach the message of Jesus on the cross. Whether it's to the Jews or to the Greeks, we have one message. It's the message of of Christ. The other thing we see about Paul, how he engages with people is this, the, the intellectuals, is that uh, Paul said, my preaching and my teaching was, is not with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. So although Paul reasoned, although Paul engaged intellectually with people, he also, more importantly, depended on the work of the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit will touch them. 
with signs, wonders, and miracles. So yes, we engage, but more importantly, depend on the Spirit. And one last thing that Paul also, that I want to bring in, in, in this context here, is that Paul said this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 23 to 26. He said, uh, and I just, just say that, you know, don't get into meaningless arguments and uh, uh, quarrels, fighting. Although Paul reasoned with people, he didn't in- get into arguments with people. In fact, he said, the servant of the Lord must not get into strife, but be gentle to all people. You know, in meekness, instructing those who might be in opposition. So be meek, just in- share with them, so that God will give them repentance. Don't fight, don't argue. But in meekness, you instruct. So don't get into arguments as you engage with people. So as believers, as we go about winning souls, as we go about this mission to win people to Jesus Christ and to disciple them, one part of what we need to do is to understand and reason with people. So there are times we invite and pray. There are times we connect and impact with the power of God. But there are times we also need to understand and reason. Don't be afraid to talk to people. Don't be afraid to have a fair discussion. Listen to their questions and try to answer them. Try to help them understand this message of Jesus Christ. Now, living in the city of Bangalore, it's very likely that we are going to encounter at least four broad categories of people. We're going to run into a lot of Hindus. We're going to run into a lot of Muslims. We will also likely run into atheists and some agnostics. People who say, well, you can't be sure. You don't know. Leave it alone. We probably run into all these kinds of people. And uh, as believers, we need to be equipped to be able to speak to them, to understand and reason with the uh, people in all these four categories. Be prepared to talk to them. I'd point you back to a series we did back in October of 2014 uh, called Reasons. And it's available online on our church website. If you go there, you'll find this uh, four-part series that we did where we talked about, uh, you know, the existence of God, creation, uh, the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, and His death, burial, and resurrection. How and on this whole series that addresses a lot and gives us a lot of information, equips us to engage with people uh, in these four categories. What I want to do very quickly here is to just give us very uh, high-level information uh, to keep in mind as we engage with Hindus and Muslims. Is that okay? All right. It's not going to depth, just high level. I know. Um, Scott there at the back uh, did a, a workshop for us on engaging with Muslims. And so uh, there, there are people who can really help us with that. This morning is doing a very high level. So as we're speaking with Hindus, what are some points of emphasis so that we know that we understand them well and we present Jesus in a way that they, they understand the message of Jesus clearly? What are some things here? When we talk about, uh, uh, when you're talking to Hindus, Understand the difference in the, in their, uh, the contrast in, in when it comes to the existence of sin and evil. The Bible reveals to us the source of evil and sin as from Satan and because of the fall of man. Uh, whereas in their mind, in the Hindu mind, it's about karma. It's about reincarnation, leaving man a victim of this uh, relentless cycle of uh, reincarnation of cause and effect. So when we... So there's, that's the difference in thinking. And, 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 and so when we talk about sin, when we talk about evil, uh, there is this contrast. And we need to keep that in mind. Or uh, forgiveness that is given to us freely in Jesus in contrast to karma and reincarnation. You know, in, in, in the Hindu mind, there is no concept of unearned, total and free forgiveness given us a gift. Salvation given us a gift through one singular complete sacrifice. 
Whereas, uh, and so they, they, they're always thinking in terms of karma and, and, uh, and, and dealing with that. And thinking that at some point your total good can outweigh uh, the total evil. But that's all an impossibility because uh, just naturally speaking we are all inclined to evil. And so by default every man is going to have evil, his sum total of evil outweighing the good. So, and, and think about Christ contrasted with many avatars. That again, that different con, uh, contrast there in our, the Hindu mind and, and, and the Christian teaching. Christ, and, and if God became a man and if God is perfect, he had to do it just only once. There would be no necessity uh, to have multiple incarnations, multiple visitations uh, to come and uh, redeem man. And so that's the strength of what the Bible is talking about. That God came once and he did a perfect, complete work. All you have to do is to believe in that work. In contrast to many avatars who were imperfect. And therefore, there were many subsequent uh, incarnations. Or think about a loving God. Seeking a personal relationship with man. In contrast with, uh, in, ter- in terms of re- achieving uh, salvation. In terms of enlightenment or liberation achieved through self-effort. What a big difference. Here is God who wants to have a relationship with you. And here you're trying to achieve some sort of an enlightenment through your own efforts. Or think about, contrast the uh, power of Christ to transform our lives, an individual life, versus your uh, trying to achieve a self-actualization or self-realization through a lot of discipline and uh, things that you do. So these are points of contrast when you're talking with Hindus. Now we're not using these to argue, but we're using these to present the message of Jesus correctly and helping them understand what we're saying. Are you with me? Right? Now let's talk very quickly here about Muslims. When we are engaging with Muslims, what do we need to keep in mind? Just keep in mind that uh, even in the Muslim, there is, you know, you, you will find different kinds of Muslims. There are those who have the old school thought, and there you have those who are modern day. They think uh, they're more open uh, these days. But some of the areas where they would, many would have questions is in, about the deity, the death, and the resurrection. Of Christ, And so we need, as we're engaging with Muslims, we need to be able to present this with strength and clarity and defend the deity, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And again, I would refer you back to those sermon series on reasons where we show that the death and the resurrection of Jesus is an indisputable fact. That it stands in the court of law. The resurrection of Jesus, the proof and the evidence that is there cannot be disputed at all. And so we need to be firm uh, in, in our understanding and our ability to explain that. Some things of contrast when we're talking, engaging with Muslims. The, the nature of God. The Bible presents God to us as a loving God. As a loving creator who is interested in a personal relationship with each person. In contrast to a God who is so powerful that he's unknowable. And uh, un- unknowable, he's, he's not reachable. He's very distant. In terms of sin, for us, we, are, we understand uh, that sin not only affects us as human beings, but also affects our relationship with God. It affects God. It grieves the heart of God. Unlike the Muslim understanding of sin, that it just only affects me uh, as a sinner. The whole idea of forgiveness, that uh, a Muslim uh, would say that God can just sovereignly grant forgiveness. But for us, we talk about mercy and justice. God is merciful, but He's also just. And his justice demands that sin has to be accounted for. That he just can't sovereignly wipe it away. And because of him being a just God, not only a merciful God, they're necessitated or it becomes necessary for a sacrifice. 
And then you can explain to, um, uh, how you know, Jesus came and to be that one and complete sacrifice. The fatherhood of God is again a very important point of contrast. Where in the Muslim mind, uh, relationship between God and man is more one of a potentate and a servant. But here in the Bible, we're talking about God calling us in to be his sons and daughters. Bringing us into his own family and God being a father to us. Bringing us into that kind of a relationship. A very important contrast. And the Christian life. How we live the Christian life. We live, every one of us has access to the word. And we're led, led by the Holy Spirit. Unlike uh, the Muslim way of life where uh, there is the, the fatwa or um, a, a rule that is uh, an interpretation of the law. That can be given by a jurist or a mufti. And you just have to follow that. But we all have access directly to the word. And led, being led by the Spirit of God. So we can hear and know what God wants to say to each of us. Uh, rather than go by the word of some man. So here are some points of contrast that we keep as we engage with people. Whether it's Hindus or Muslims. And uh, or we should not be afraid to dialogue. Should not be afraid to uh, uh, engage in discussion. But understand where they are coming from. And present Jesus in a way that they can understand. Are you with me so far? Right? So three strategies. First, invite and... Two, connect and impact. Third, understand and raise. Right? Now, like we said last Sunday, God may use each of us in a different stage in this whole process. Some of us may be able to sow a seed. We may not see the harvest. You're just sowing a seed. So as you're engaging in a dialogue with your friend in, in school or college or in your workplace, you may not see him immediately become a believer, but in that conversation that you're having, maybe you're just sowing seed. Maybe... You're watering a seed that somebody else has sown as you engage in a conversation. You're sharing your ideas. You're willing to listen. You're just maybe watering a seed somebody else has sown. And for some of us, sometimes God will use us to reap the harvest. Somebody else has sown. Somebody has watered that seed. And you're there and God is using you to reap that harvest. And that person comes into uh, believing in Jesus. doesn't matter. The Bible says we are all one. Right? He who sows, he who waters, he who reaps, we are all one. And we all rejoice together. That we are gathering fruit for eternity. Amen. We are all gathering fruit for eternity. So no matter which stage of the process God uses you. Ultimately we are gathering souls. We are winning souls. And making disciples. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Thank you for your patience here this morning. And I know it's hot out here. Let's just take a few moments to pray please. And uh, we will close this morning. Father we just pray. That. You will light a fire in each of our hearts to be passionate, Lord, about winning souls and making disciples. God, that we will have that passion in our hearts to introduce people to Jesus through whatever ways we can, whether we invite them, whether we connect with them, whether we engage with, uh, in dialogue with them, but to bring Jesus to them and for them to explore the good news. Pray that you'll use each one of us, whether it's in our schools, our colleges, in our places of work, in our travels, in our communities, wherever we go, use each one, Father. And Holy Spirit, I pray, you'll fill us with a holy boldness. Break off all fear, all inhibitions. Break off, Lord, the things that hold us back. And help us, Lord, with love and with wisdom to speak the truth, to bless people. Use each one, we pray. We thank you, Lord. Before we close this morning, if there's anybody here you've, been visit, you've visited with us, or you've been visiting with us, and 
This morning you've heard a little bit about Jesus. And maybe you feel in your heart right now, this, this, uh, this morning as you're standing here, that you would like to have this relationship with God. That God is not some distant God, far away. Neither is He an object of worship, some object made with man's hands. But the Bible tells us that God is a real God. He's a very personal God. He's a very loving God. He's interested in each one of us. And that's why Jesus came. To take sin out of the way. So that each and every one of us can be brought into that personal relationship with God. This morning, if you feel in your heart you would like to have that relationship, but you are not sure if you have that, then I want to lead you in a small prayer asking Jesus to come into your heart, to forgive your sin, and to bring you into this relationship with God. And as you pray and as you, as you ask Him to do it, He will do it. The Bible says everyone who receives Him, to everyone who believes in His name, He gives them the power to become children of God. If you'd like to receive that this morning, just pray this with me. Anybody, if you've never done this before. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Forgive my sins and make me a child of God. Bring me into this relationship with God and help me to follow you, Jesus, the rest of my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's close in prayer. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask, think, or imagine according to His power that is at work in each of us. Unto Him be glory in the church through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. Enjoy your Sunday afternoon and see you again. God bless. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.